When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Today, we have another Backers Rewards episode where I answer listener questions. And the focus is again on Constantinople, and uh, then a little personal question at the end. So listener GR has a couple of comments for us. He says, I have a view that the Romans got lucky at the end of the 3rd century with the reign of Diocletian. Without his recognition that the empire was unwieldy, and that the East and West had problems that needed addressing locally, the empire would not have been split into east and west. Without the need for an eastern capital, the village of Byzantium would never have been developed by the Romans. If Diocletian hadn't done this one thing, the Roman Empire as an entity would have collapsed a lot sooner. This is definitely the impression that I have of Diocletian, having listened to the History of Rome podcast. It seemed that without his careful attention to the empire's needs, it would have struggled to hold together in the face of the challenges it faced during the 3rd century. However, having now studied history in great detail, I've become suspicious of any theory that sounds too neat. It's possible that the worst of the barbarian invasions was over by the time Diocletian came to power, and that the Romans would have continued on as a united empire with a very different kind of leader. Or, to look at it another way, what if things had continued to go badly for the Romans? What would have been the result for the political elites of the empire? If things are crashing down around you, then one option would have been to divide in two. Um, just much earlier than the empire eventually did. So, if that happened, the Eastern Empire, a Byzantine empire, if you will, might have cut itself adrift from the West to save itself from Gothic attacks, and perhaps the empire in the East would have established a secure new capital for itself, whether that was at Constantinople or somewhere else. Uh, In fact, had they you know, established their capital at Antioch or Alexandria, then they might have avoid, avoided uh, being attacked the way Constantinople was being on the European side of the Bosphorus. Obviously, there are many possibilities, and without studying the period in detail, I can't add a lot more. But at this stage, my goal is to one day study the period in detail. Right now, my working plan for post 1453, is to go back to the founding of the Roman Empire 
and provide the kind of end-of-the-century coverage I've been able to give Byzantium. That is a long way off, though, and I do understand the thrust of listener GR's question. Without Diocletian, would Constantinople have ever been founded? We know that with the way things did play out, the Byzantines wouldn't have survived if they didn't have their fortress capital. But let's return to what I said a minute ago. Any simple theory you hear in history book is open to question and reinterpretation. So, on this podcast, I began by repeating the claim that Byzantium was chosen with great vision by Constantine because of its tremendous qualities as a siege-proof HQ. But if that's true, if it was such a great place to situate a city, then why hadn't the Romans used it much before? During my recent research on the city, I've been confronted repeatedly by scholars pointing out that there were very, very good reasons to not choose Byzantium as the site of your new capital. The most obvious being the water supply, which we've talked about a lot. Constantine seems to have done little to address this looming problem of an expanding population in a city with no river. So during the reign of his son, we're told that the city was dying of thirst. And this obviously led to his success as building the huge aqueduct system and more cisterns than any other city in the ancient world. A lot of effort that would have been unnecessary somewhere else. Several other disadvantages existed which had deterred settlers from attempting to expand the colony of Byzantium. One was that it wasn't in a great location to serve the rest of the Roman world. The main east-west trade routes across the Mediterranean passed well south of the Bosphorus. Uh, yes, it's true it was ideally placed to manage north-south trade from the Black Sea, but this wasn't actually a major commercial artery at the time, or at least not a very profitable one um, compared to the east-west route. You know, in fact, one scholar says that that north-south route wouldn't actually become a sort of very profitable waterway until the Rus came along, 500 years later. Byzantium was also a long way from other good sites. There were no natural harbours nearby. Uh, on the European Black Sea coast, for example, the nearest was Anchialis, which is almost 300 miles away. On the Sea of Marmara, there was Heraclea, but that was also a small settlement. Uh, by land, the nearest major town was Adrianople, nearly six days' travel away. And even on the Asian side, it took several days to reach Nicaea, as you had to traverse a huge mountain to reach it. This isolation was in contrast to other major cities like Rome, Antioch, or Alexandria, which were all surrounded by neighbouring towns, prosperous countryside, and good ports. Nor did Byzantium offer much protection from invasion. Of course, it was an amazingly defensible site, as we've seen repeatedly, but there were no natural barriers to the initial invasion. Many an enemy came to grief under the Theodosian walls, but none had any trouble getting there or camping outside. 
contrast that with, say, Nicaea, which had both a mountain and a lake protecting different approaches to it, or Antioch, part of which is on a little island. If Constantine gave little thought to the city's water supply, then he could at least content himself with the fact that no one would want for food. He had, after all, diverted a significant portion of Egypt's grain supply to satiate his new capital. But this decision in itself reveals another weakness of Byzantium's location. Local food supplies were not plentiful enough to support even a modest increase in the city's population, let alone a rapid expansion into six figures. The city's complete dependence on Egypt was a weakness. The prevailing winds around the Hellespont in summer go in the opposite direction to the grain ships, meaning special ports and granaries and uh, sort of tugboat-type vessels had to be constructed to manage the logistical headaches of this system. And if anything went wrong in the supply chain, there would be rioting in the city. Constantinople's own hinterland, as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, didn't produce great food or wine, forcing the elites of the capital to demand a constant and expensive influx of goods. Finally, of course, the city is prone to regular earthquakes, including a truly devastating rumble every 150 years or so. Again, necessitating huge expense to ensure that foundations and walls were extremely thick and durable. So, going back to Diocletian, it's worth noting that the thoughtful emperor chose to build residences for himself at Nicomedia and Heraclea, either side of the Bosphorus. Again, I haven't studied this period, but some have suggested that the real reason Constantine made a fuss over Byzantium was not strategic vision, but simply to glorify his massive ego. Maybe the Romans got lucky, not just that Diocletian was so attentive, but that Constantine ignored his predecessor's good judgment and decided that a hugely expensive and ill-advised monument to himself was more important. It seems a backwards way to do things, but I am really looking forward to researching the origins of Constantinople in more detail after 1453. Listener GR also passes on the following comment. I know that the podcast narrative hasn't got there yet, but when I read about the Fourth Crusade, I entered a whole world of church politics and commercial shenanigans by the Venetians which eventually led to the sack of Constantinople in 1204. I was disgusted by those events and the fact that they led to the end of the real power of Byzantium. This is a common reaction for those of us who are devotees of the empire. A listener recently sent me a picture of him uh, flipping the bird at the gravestone of uh, Enrico Dandolo. And of course, I too have had those moments when I've wished for Byzantine history to turn out differently. Uh, but for those wishing to untangle themselves from those emotions, it's worth bearing in mind that the Romans brutalized as many people, if not many more, than ever brutalized them. Walking around Istanbul, you see a lot of pieces of Byzantium now incorporated into Ottoman buildings. 
But before you let your emotions run away with you, take a look at the Hagia Sophia or the Basilica Sistine. Almost all Byzantine buildings are propped up by columns looted from pagan temples. It's one of the more fascinating things about visiting the city. The Christian architecture of Justinian and his peers was built on the back of the ancient pagan world. These things happen to all civilizations. So when we mourn for Constantinople in 1204 and curse the Venetians as they drag away beautiful statues, it's worth remembering where those statues came from. Most of them were stolen or forcibly removed in the first place. Constantine pilfered them from across the empire to decorate his new city. Let's close today with a couple of personal questions. Uh, Listener S asks, How does it feel to be a celebrity in your own right? People like me have you blathering on hour after hour as we work through the doldrums of the day. I laugh here or there or make audible comments and a relationship forms. But the relationship is skewed to one side as our conversations aren't actual conversations. So then someone like me, will finally send you a message as if we know each other, which we don't. I know a persona and have some insight as to who you are as a person, but you don't know anything about me. Which is a very nice summation of the strange podcaster-listener relationship. It does feel more intimate than other media we consume. I've sat through hours of bad television because I accept that I need to see whole series Um, whereas with a podcast I'd be far more judgmental about what I will listen to for hour after hour and because it's usually one person or two people giving their thoughts and their opinions on things it does feel like you're in the room and you know them quite well Um, from my point of view obviously it doesn't feel at all like being a celebrity Uh, But on the few occasions I have met listeners, it is an unusual experience. Um, And I'll liken it to something else in my life, which is that one of my best friends got a new girlfriend, and I didn't meet her until they'd been out like 10 times or whatever. And by then, I knew lots about her and she me. So when we met, it was a little awkward because we couldn't say, oh, so what do you do and where are you from? because we already knew the answers. And so that natural conversation you'd have with a new person was gone. And so there was a lot of stumbling to try and start forming a bond. Um, So if we ever do meet in real life, bear that in mind, and hopefully we'll find a way to make it less awkward. Finally then, Listener S asks, following on from the trip to Istanbul, if it were possible to take a slog through the trails blazed in ancient times by our heroes, and you could provide a video guide, who would it be and where? It is a tremendous question, but I think with two very different kinds of answer. It would be amazing to follow in Heraclius's footsteps, for example, uh, head out from Istanbul to eastern Turkey, trekking across the mountains, up into Georgia, and then sweeping down into Iraq. However, even if you ignore the logistical headaches and the security issues, there'd be almost nothing to see that would be relevant to that particular story beyond the landscape. 
Same with, say, following Belisarius's wars. Uh, you'd see a lot more relevant sites if you followed someone like Hadrian on one of his tours of the empire. And if you go to followinghadrian.com, you can see someone doing just that. I suppose my own interest has been piqued by the centuries of defense in Anatolia, and a tour around Cappadocia would be great, but I'd want to go close to the Syrian border where a lot of the action took place, and uh, that doesn't seem likely anytime soon. So maybe the answer would be to follow Basil II around the Balkans. Um, there are lots of Byzantine and Bulgarian sites to visit, and you'd go through Orit and Athens and Thessaloniki, um, which would all be great. So, yeah, that's a possibility. I'd be interested to know your thoughts on that. That's the episode for today. As you know, these uh, end-of-the-century shows take longer to produce than usual, but they are being made. So it'll either be a regular episode or another Listener Awards show next week. Speak to you then. <laughs>